A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Today we have a crazy story of revenge of sending a stepdad to jail. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, the revenge against someone that used to be my man. When people throw the statement, he's my man, she's my woman, I was one of those who used to think that that just clicked, and there was no problem. But I was more than wrong. In fact, I couldn't be more wrong than I was. And the crazy part of me being wrong is that I thought that was all I deserved for years. That my mistake would have to cost me my happiness for the greatest number of years in which I would be alive. I met the love of my life, Brandon. It was like one of those fairy tale moments, you know? We bumped into each other at the local coffee shop and it felt like destiny had brought us together. Talk about the perfect cute meat, right? Yeah, that is exactly what I'd thought all this while too. Brandon, with his irresistible charm and kind heart, swept me off my feet from the start. I couldn't help but smile whenever he was around. It was like the universe conspired to make us cross paths, and I knew deep down that my life was about to change in the best possible way. Our love story began with dreams and aspirations. We would talk for hours, laughing and sharing our wildest hopes for the future. It was like we were building castles in the air, but it felt so right. Brandon became my biggest supporter, encouraging me to embrace my passion for art and creativity. I felt like I could conquer the world with him by my side. We were the talk of the town, the golden couple that everyone admired. People would say, they're meant to be. And I couldn't agree more. It was like we had found our perfect match in each other, and the world seemed to revolve around our love. When we were together, it felt like we were in our little bubble of happiness. Nothing else mattered, and time would fly by without us even realizing it. We'd hold hands, steal sweet kisses, and it was like being in a fairy tale every day. But just like any fairy tale, our love story had its twists and turns. As the days turned into weeks and weeks into months, we started to face challenges. Little disagreements turned into bigger arguments, and I could feel the once perfect illusion starting to crack. From the moment we met at that cozy coffee shop, it was like time stood still. His warm smile and twinkling eyes captivated me instantly, and I knew there was something special about him. Our early days together were like a whirlwind of laughter and adventure. We were like two puzzle pieces that fit perfectly, completing each other in the most beautiful way. It was like we were speaking a secret language, understanding each other without even saying a word. Brandon was my constant cheerleader, encouraging me to pursue my passion for art with unwavering support. He saw the beauty in every stroke of my paintbrush and believed in my talent even when I doubted myself. His faith in me made me feel invincible and like I could conquer the world. Together we dreamt of a future filled with endless possibilities. We would talk for hours, sharing our hopes and aspirations, and it felt like we were creating our own little universe. From traveling the world and painting murals on city walls to raising a family of our own, our dreams were limitless. I like to think of him as my rock, my safe haven. Whenever life threw curveballs my way, Brandon was there holding my hand and reassuring me that we'd get through it together. His calming presence grounded me in a world that most often than not found a way to feel chaotic. Our love was filled with spontaneity and adventure. We'd go on long walks, hand in hand, exploring the nooks and crannies of Willowbrook. Each moment felt like a treasure etched in our memories forever. One of my favorite things about Brandon was his sense of humor. 
He could always make me laugh, even on my darkest days. His jokes and witty remarks were like a ray of sunshine, brightening even the gloomiest of moments. The little gestures meant the world to me. He'd surprise me with my favorite flowers just because, or cook my favorite meal when I needed a pick-me-up. It was in these simple acts of love that I felt cherished and adored. Our love was like a dance, moving seamlessly between moments of tenderness and playful banter. We'd get lost in each other's eyes, our hearts beating in sync, and the world would fade away. Every day felt like a chapter in our fairy tale romance. We'd create memories that were etched into the very fabric of our souls. From dancing under the stars, to stealing kisses in the rain, our love was a beautiful symphony of moments. In the eyes of the world, we were the golden couple, and for a while it felt like we truly were. Our love story captivated those around us, and we reveled in the joy of being each other's forever. Looking back, those early days were a treasure trove of happiness. Our love was untainted, pure, and full of promise. It was a love that made us believe in the magic of fairy tales and the power of dreams. I loved Brandon deeply, but I couldn't ignore the growing uncertainty. It was like we were trying to fit into this picture-perfect image of a couple, but real life isn't always picture-perfect, right? We'd put on a show for the world, still the charming couple that everyone adored, but behind closed doors, we were trying to figure it all out. It felt like we were living two different lives, one in public, where we were the golden couple, and another where we faced the struggles that came with being together. In the months after our meeting, the idyllic sheen of our love story began to give way to tiny cracks. Well, they were tiny cracks at this time. At first, I brushed it off as the normal adjustments that come with being in a committed relationship. But soon, those fissures grew larger and I couldn't ignore the unease gnawing at my heart. Brandon's once tender affection took a turn towards constant control and criticism. It was subtle at first, disguised as advice or suggestions, but I could feel the weight of his expectations pressing down on me. It felt like I was walking on eggshells trying to please him in every way, yet somehow it was never enough. His need for control seeped into every aspect of our lives, from the little things like what we should eat for dinner to bigger decisions like where we should live. It was like my opinions didn't matter and my voice was slowly being silenced. And just like that, I found myself adapting to his wishes, molding my life to fit into the confines of his desires. I thought that maybe if I changed, he'd be happy and our love would go back to being the perfect fairy tale everyone admired. But as time went on, I realized that no amount of change could satisfy his insatiable need for control. And those constant criticisms, disguised as helpful advice, wore down my self-esteem. I used to be confident in my art and my abilities, but now I hesitated with every brushstroke, second-guessing myself at every turn. The passion that once fueled my creativity started to wane, leaving me feeling lost and disconnected from the very thing that had once brought me joy. At first, I didn't recognize it for what it was. I was hopeful that things would change, that the love we once shared would conquer all. But the more time passed, the clearer it became. Brandon's emotional manipulation was eroding the foundation of our relationship. Subtle put-downs became a regular occurrence. He would belittle my ideas, my art, and even my dreams. It was like he was trying to break me down, to make me doubt myself in every way possible, and I fell into the trap, believing that I wasn't good enough, that I was somehow to blame for the cracks in our relationship. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Gaslighting was another tactic he used to keep me under his control. He would twist the truth, making me question my own perceptions and memories. I'd find myself doubting my own feelings and thoughts, wondering if I was overreacting or imagining things. He'd apologize, promising that things would change, and for a moment I'd hold on to that hope. But the cycle continued, with the same patterns of control, criticism, and emotional manipulation repeating over and over again. I became trapped in this web of emotional abuse, feeling like I couldn't escape. The love that once made me feel invincible now left me feeling small and powerless. I felt like I was losing myself, like I was becoming a version of myself that I didn't recognize. I craved the love and affection we had in the beginning, yearning for that connection we once shared. But instead I found myself walking on eggshells afraid of setting him off or saying the wrong thing. It was like I'd become a puppet in his hands, dancing to the tune of his emotional whims. I confided in friends, seeking their advice and validation, but he had a way of turning them against me too. He would charm them with his charisma, making them believe that he was the victim and I was the problem. The worst part of all of this was that for a long time, I accepted that the problem was me. Each day, I felt like I was losing a little piece of myself, and I wondered if I'd ever find my way back to the person I used to be. The emotional roller coaster was exhausting, and I began to question if I was strong enough to break free. But deep down, there was a part of me that knew I deserved better. I deserved a love that lifted me up, that made me feel cherished and respected. I deserved a love that didn't manipulate and control, but one that nurtured and supported. As the cracks in our relationship grew wider, I started to find strength in the support of my friends and family. They reminded me of the person I was before, the person who was vibrant and confident, and they gave me the courage to reclaim that part of myself. I knew that breaking free wouldn't be easy, the emotional ties were strong, and the fear of being alone was real. But I also knew that I couldn't continue living in this cycle of abuse. It was time to find the strength to stand up for myself, to break the chains of emotional manipulation, and to walk towards a future where I could rediscover my self-worth and rebuild my life. Tired of being a victim, I realized that I needed to find solace in something that used to bring me joy and reminded me of who I was before this tumultuous relationship with Brandon. I turned to my passion for art and self-expression as a way to rediscover my strength and worth beyond the confines of our troubled relationship. In the quiet corners of my studio that I made out of our attic, because Brandon could not understand why I wanted to spend money on something I was terrible at, I found solace amidst the paintbrushes and canvases. 
Each stroke of color was a release of the pent-up emotions that had been building within me. Through painting, I could express the turmoil I felt, the doubt and fears that had taken root in my heart. It was as if the canvas became my confidant, listening to the whispers of my soul. As I immersed myself in my creative outlets, I began to feel a flicker of the person I once was. My art was a reflection of my resilience, a testament to the strength I'd buried deep inside. It reminded me that I was more than a victim in this relationship. I was a survivor, capable of finding beauty in even the darkest corners of my life. My self-esteem, battered by years of emotional manipulation, started to mend. I looked at my paintings and I saw strength and beauty staring back at me. Each piece became a symbol of my journey to reclaim myself and it gave me the courage to take one step forward, away from the shadows that had engulfed me. I shared my artwork with a few close friends and their reactions were overwhelming. They wondered why I stopped to begin with, but if they didn't believe me all these years, who is to say they would believe anything I said with Brandon in my shadow to breathe fury into whatever I said? They saw the strength and power in my art and their words of encouragement breathed life into my soul. I started to believe in myself again, realizing that my worth didn't depend on Brandon's validation or approval. With newfound determination, I sought out more creative outlets. I joined a local art group where I found like-minded individuals who shared my passion for self-expression. It was liberating to be surrounded by people who embraced their individuality, and it inspired me to embrace my own uniqueness. I started attending art exhibitions and workshops, exploring different art forms and techniques as suggested by the group. The more I delved into the world of art, the more I felt myself coming alive. It was like I was shedding the layers of the person I'd become in the confines of my relationship with Brandon, and I was rediscovering the woman I once was. But as it would turn out, there were more truths I needed to know that would finally set me free from the hands of Brandon. And saying this is quite hilarious because it would have been better if he had at least hit me. That way I would have had evidence to anyone I spoke to. But boy, was he armed with words spear. One evening, while I was organizing some boxes in what had become my home office, or only office correctly put, I accidentally stumbled upon a hidden box that was stuck in a pile of some of Brandon's old things. Inside, I found a stack of letters and photographs that seemed to be from a past relationship. A relationship that he had never mentioned to me. We were open about our past. He made that rule and he claimed that it was to show that we could completely and honestly trust each other. At the time, that made sense to me and the fact that he claimed that he'd only been in one relationship before me kind of made a bit of sense then. I merely took it as him being wise and waiting for who he truly loved before getting together with them. In a way, it made me feel special. I felt lucky to be the one he chose to be in a relationship with. As I went through the letters, my heart sank. It was evident from the intimate words written on the pages that Brandon had shared a deep connection with someone else before he met me. The photographs captured happy memories of him and another woman, and it felt like I'd stumbled upon a world that had been kept hidden from me. A mixture of emotions washed over me. Hurt, confusion, and a sense of betrayal? I had always believed that we were completely open with each other, but finding these letters and photographs shattered that belief. It was like discovering a whole other side of him, one that he had carefully concealed. I couldn't help but wonder why he had kept this part of his past hidden from me. Was he still holding on to feelings for this other woman? Did he compare me to her in some way? 
The question swirled in my mind and I felt a knot forming in my stomach. I sought guidance from a therapist and through our sessions, I came to understand the power dynamics in our relationship. It was clear that Brandon's emotional manipulation had kept me under his control for far too long. Armed with this knowledge, I started setting boundaries and reclaiming my sense of self. I decided to confront him about the hidden secret I had discovered. It was a daunting conversation, but I knew I had to face it head on. I couldn't let his lies and manipulation dictate my life any longer. As I sat across from him, the weight of the revelation heavy on my heart, I spoke my truth. I saw the surprise in his eyes followed by a fleeting expression of vulnerability. He didn't lie about having just one ex-girlfriend, but what he was never upfront about was how she had worn the trousers in their relationship and how she made him out to be a weakling. In his desire to be the man, he went overboard. It was a moment that revealed the cracks in his facade, and I knew that I'd finally found the strength to walk away. In the end, I made the difficult decision to take some time apart from Brandon to reassess our relationship and what I truly wanted for my future. It was a painful process, but it allowed me the space to rediscover myself and find my strength beyond the confines of a troubled love story. During our time apart, I sought solace in my passion for art and self-expression. Painting became a cathartic outlet, allowing me to express my emotions and explore my own vulnerabilities. I surrounded myself with friends and family who supported and uplifted me, reminding me of my worth beyond the relationship. Weeks after, I started to gain a sense of clarity and self-assurance. I realized that I deserved a love that celebrated my individuality, a love that didn't require me to compromise my sense of self for the sake of someone else's comfort. The one thing he wanted was to hold me in a trap bottle that I would never slip away. I was down forever with him. Those were the vows we took. But he went about it the wrong way, and the only way to exert my revenge against him was leaving. So, I left. And as I write, he is still yet to find me. Breaking free from the emotional manipulation was a process. There were moments of doubt and fear, but with each passing day, I felt the weight lifting off of my shoulders. My art became a lifeline, a reminder of the woman I'd become. A woman who would refuse to be a victim any longer. With each painting, I found the courage to rebuild my life, one brushstroke at a time. I rekindled old relationships and forged new ones, surrounded myself with people who uplifted me, and celebrated my strength. And as I stepped into the light, away from the shadows of emotional manipulation, I knew that I was finally free to embrace a future that was truly my own. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Honestly, I feel like this is more of a taking control of your life and making a difficult decision kind of story rather than necessarily a revenge. But either way, as scary and as big and monumental of a decision as it is, it's nice to see somebody like OP do what's best for them. That said, our next story is sending my stepdad to jail. Hello Reddit, I've been reading through this thread for about a month, first purely out of amusement, but now I think it might be a good idea to share my story. Before I start my little tale of woe, 
I would like to clarify a few things. One is that I'm not a Christian. I've seen how a few people talk about finding peace in the Christian faith after people share their stories and I just want to save you all that time. It didn't go well that time and I don't want to have to get into it. Two, this story has a lot of violent themes so please don't indulge if you can't stand certain things like domestic violence and betrayal. I promise the real story is coming soon but I still have a few more things to say. The people who are starring in my story are my mother, my birth father, or Idy, as my little sister Lily and I call him, short for idiot, my aunt Hilda, my stepfather Bill, and my stepsisters Sue and Maisie. These are all fake names, but honestly they're not too far off from the real thing. Now that you're all caught up, I'll get right into it. My sister and I were born to a woman who had a terrible life growing up and wanted to do better for her children and a man who had a big family and then lost them to a fire. Didn't want children but never told his wife. Neither the fact nor the reason why. Both my parents got together really young and the way my mother says it, I'm convinced there was a time that he must have really loved her. They were together for about 11 years, from when my mother was 14 till she turned 25. They would have been together longer if she didn't tell them she was pregnant with me. I was a product of her birthday present to him. He freaked out and ran away and did not return till a year later, when I was already born and only a few months old. He apologized to my mother, admitted to having cold feet, and promised to stick around for the rest of our lives. He even promised to get married to my mother the minute I was old enough to walk. According to my mother and the pictures from that time, they had a really good run. He was completely involved in the process of being a dad and it looked like things would finally be good again. Until they planned a whole wedding and he left my mother at the altar with nothing but a note half-heartedly leaving an apology on the fact that he wasn't ready to be a husband or father. My mother was a pretty reasonable woman, or at least she was back then, so I assume that after hanging out with a woman who has a kid with you for almost a year and a half, you should know that you don't want a family or should be able to tell her. Or at least you should be vocal about not wanting a wedding BEFORE the planning starts, But hey, I don't know much about the kind of guy he was and all I have are her stories and pictures of the time. Doesn't seem like a stand-up guy to me though. By the time I was five, my mother had managed to build a life that was comfortable for us. We lived in a house she bought with her younger sister, my Aunt Hilda, who was the most beautiful and most talented woman. She and my mother were so close in age they could easily be Siamese twins and they were raised by creative hippies, so they knew how to do nearly everything. Sewing, art, plumbing, tiling a bathroom, you name it, they could probably do it. They also raised me this way. More my aunt though, as my mother was mostly working one of three jobs. A few days after my fifth birthday, some guy came to my school with a bag of presents and an apologetic face. When I think about it, my school was very irresponsible for letting me go home with a man just because he said he was my father. They didn't have any proof, just sent me home with a stranger. Fortunately, it wasn't my time yet, and it really was my dad. He took me around town and we had a good day, until it was time for my mother to get back from work. He then drove a sleeping me over to the house, holding me in his arms so that my mother would have no choice than to talk to him. That was exactly the case, as my mom and Hilda had been worried sick when I hadn't come back from school by 7pm. Even though she shouldn't have... My mother let him in and they did a little more than talk that day. I know, because my mother is convinced that was the day she conceived my little sister. Despite Hilda's disagreement with it, he ended up living with us for a few months until my mom informed him that she was pregnant again. 
This time he left an informed note and a lot of money for her to get an abortion or baby clothes, depending on which she chose. Deciding that she wanted a little sibling for me, she decided to keep the child. The pregnancy was difficult and Hilda took up a job to support. At six months, my mother could no longer work again and she stayed at home with me. She was very reserved, but I'd been taught to do the most simple things like make easy, no-cook foods, use the microwave, run errands, do chores, and even sew on buttons. My little sister was born, and she was the prettiest little thing in the world. I loved her straight out of the hospital, and all for the whole time my mother had postnatal depression and couldn't take care of herself too well. I, a six-year-old, managed to convince them both to stay a year at home so I could be involved in taking care of my family. Till I turned 14, I had a good, healthy childhood, a little sister who I adored and she loved me right back, a hard-working mother who put her kids before anything else, and an aunt who liked to teach us as many skills as she humanly could. In the summer, we sold lemonade and cookies and scraped our knees outside. I know you're all wondering when the story gets good, and I promise we're very close to that happening. When I turned 14, a lot of things changed for me. My sister and I had our first fight, and my mother started dating again. At first, my aunt was worried that it was Ivy, my bio dad, so she would take me along and we would sneak after my mother to find out the guy that had been sending her flowers and gifts. We were so relieved when we found out that it was a white-haired white man that was a little too red in the face that had a really cheery smile, and the first time we met was when he brought my mom home from a date so they could tell us that they were deciding to get married. They had been together for six months, and we'd only known about the relationship for three. Now, I've been alive and vaguely conscious about when my sperm donor was acting up. I knew what my mother had been through, and I'd always wanted her to date again. When I spoke up about it, she convinced me that we were her priority. Now that she was finally dating and about to get married, I should have been the happiest. But when my mother kept saying things about how shocked she was that the most mediocre looking white man in the world found her pretty enough to marry her, I got pissed. Brief backstory, my mother is a stunner, like she used to be and she still is. She had a figure most people would consider slim thick when she was younger, and now that she had kids, it seemed like everything else increased in size besides her waist. Her face is the prettiest thing in the world, and she replicated that to my sister and I. Even the choice of man she reproduced with was so fine, albeit stupid. My sperm donor looked like a young Lenny Kravitz if he always had shorter hair. Her husband-to-be was apparently a widowed pastor named Bill, and he had two daughters. Before I had too much time to share my dislike for the new union, they were already unified. Three months from the day we met Bill, an ugly, boring wedding was planned and we had to be bridesmaids. The only upside was the extra siblings and how cool they were. It was from them we learned that their dad thought our mother was the most priceless thing. I know it sounds romantic, but coming from a guy who apparently has a fetish for women of color was really crazy. I thought it was weird and so did my sister. Before we could officially decide to do anything about it, not like we could, we were sent off to boarding school. A few days before we were meant to leave, we went to see Hilda, and after sharing what we had heard and noticed, I begged her to keep an eye on my mother. Coming back three weeks later to hear that Hilda had been banned from the house was wild, to say the least. Our school let us come back home during the weekends, and we had not wanted to take advantage of it, but the stepsisters informed us that coming back weekly meant more pocket money. 
It really did, but ironically also meant that we didn't see our mother as often. When we asked, we were told things like she was doing church stuff or had just come back from church and was too tired. For about two weeks, we could only see her during Sunday dinner and when we did, she was heavily made up and her smile was so fake. She did a good job in pretending though, enough to hold us off for a few weeks. On one of our dates with Hilda, we told her of our observations and she stiffened, refusing to answer our question of why and just asking to find a way to walk in on my mother when she's just showered or is taking off her makeup. I didn't think seeing my mother barefaced would be so hard, considering we all used to skinny dip in the lake around a former neighbor's home together. Eventually, we resigned to the truth that Bill was telling us and continued with school. About six months after my mom got married, I noticed that my mother had stopped coming out completely. We were home for spring break and had talked about all the time we usually spent skinny dipping with our stepsisters. They were excited about it and we'd agree to all speak to our stepfather and convince him to let us go back to my mom's house for a mini girls weekend. When we got back from school, I looked for my mother to alert her of my brilliant idea and she was nowhere to be found. Bill was not around till Sunday and when he came, he had his dinner given to him in his study. By now I'd started freaking out and snuck out to see my aunt and complain to her. It was unusual for my mother to be this silent for this long. She was a chatty woman and Hilda was the quiet one among them. Even my stepsisters admitted it was really weird that my mother just changed after her marriage to their dad. By Monday I was sick with worry and since we didn't have school, it meant we would have morning prayers together. I brought up my mother's missing and Bill seemed so upset in the beginning that he yelled at me. After prayers, he apologized and said my mother had temporarily strayed from the flock and would be back soon to join. He also left us some money to go shopping with because he was dealing with my mother's disappearance and was working directly with the police. It wasn't enough for me, but I let it die, thinking of how soon I could get to my aunt. I didn't have a phone at the time, but I had an iPod that I'd saved up all my pocket money for and gotten, and I usually used it to communicate with my aunt Hilda. My sister Lily and my stepsisters Sue and Maisie went to the mail, and I stayed back because of my headache. When sleeping was not working, I decided to find something interesting to do. I recalled that Bill mentioned being into art so much that he had a few in the basement that he swapped out with ones in the house every few months. Because I was the one interested in art, he told me I could have any of the art I wanted and even gave me a key. I decided to change up my room decor instead of going out and I went down to the weirdly low basement. Like it was two floors low, but not dark because there were really bright lights around the stairs. When I opened the door, I did not expect to see my mother tied to a bed with bruises around her body that were varying levels of color depending on how healed they were. He had conveniently kept her phone slightly far enough that she couldn't reach it but could hear it ring. I called Hilda and she asked me to bring my mother to our own house. We took her to a hospital from there and after a few hours of checkups and waiting for test results, she broke down and told us that Bill beat her up. That much was obvious, but her reason for not speaking up was because he threatened to sell us to his Dubai and Somalian work partners if she didn't comply. The us in question involved his two daughters who were in the same age group as my sister and I. At the time, I was 16, Lily was 10, Sue was 15, and Maisie was 8. None of us were legal. Bill hit my mother whenever she didn't agree to do the weird stuff he wanted, and after a little while, locked her in the basement because he couldn't bear to look at her. 
Hilda was livid. So was I, but she was absolutely red with anger. After we reported the case to the police and they were on the hunt for him, Hilda and I interviewed the staff at the house, as well as Sue and Maisie. It turned out that this happened semi-regularly and when the women disappeared, he said they left the flock and they hardly returned. It had been happening since his wife died right after their second daughter's birth, which we also found to be abuse-linked. It was like digging into a hole that just kept getting deeper as we found out more things. The helpers around the house were swapped regularly too and he said they went to his other properties to take care of them. When he was finally arrested, professional detectives took over and Bill was guilty of running a trafficking ring. The only difference was that he sold these exotic women to his work partners as a way to strengthen business relations. When it was time for the court case, my mother had also decided to get a divorce. My stepsisters, sister, and I also filed a lawsuit against him for attempted trafficking. Evidence was found that he was actively trying to do it after he sold off our mother. By the time the multitude of cases he had against him rolled around, he obviously lost and was sentenced to so many years in prison that he would not see the light of day until he was being transported to a hospice near the prison. Since Sue and Maisie didn't really have any family, my mother legally adopted them and got nearly all of Bill's property and money. She sold the mansion he lived in, we moved upstate into a nice six-bedroom apartment, and a lot of the money was put into causes and help with trafficking. Hilda was convinced that Bill wasn't facing enough problems in prison. Luckily, she had a friend who owed her a favor and worked as a truck driver that delivered food to the prisons. She paid him to pay people to rough-handle my now former stepfather. They did it once every few months, until he was moved to solitary confinement, so he would live out the rest of his days alone and tormented. When the story spread, my biological dad showed up, and my mother specifically sent people to give him similar treatment, like Bill was given in prison, and that's kept him away till today. I'm now 26 and working as a full-time artist. Lily's going to be rounding up college next year when Maisie's just getting in. Sue's also done with college and is a curator with a huge art gallery. My mom and Hilda spend their time traveling, tending to their joint farm that they call a garden, and they have plans of becoming foster parents as the years progress. Bill is still rotting, and whenever my sperm donor attempts to reach out, I literally hiss at him through the phone. Win-win. I think the most surprising thing is how composed OP seems while sharing this story, because I feel like if I were in that position, I'd be having some kind of lasting trauma like, why didn't I go into the basement sooner? Or like, when rethinking of that memory of going down into the basement and discovering that, it's a horrendous thing that happened. I'm glad it didn't end with this guy slithering away to some other country and disappearing. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.